Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, JC, we do it Monday through Friday anyway, and Wednesday with you. And what we do when we gather is we continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. There's a lot of people when Dr. Ted Fogarty's on say, what the Fogarty? Have him on every week. But not near as many people as said J.C. Cole last week. Have him on every week. Have him back. Back by popular demand. Because he's somewhat of a future visionary. Welcome back. You know, I, there, there's a pregnant pause there, J.C., because I don't know what to call you. Horseman from New Jersey, former world executive in the Chamber of Commerce. I, uh, excuse me, the Commerce of Chamber. Yes, I don't know where um, to go with all that. I, I'm not sure either. Maybe maybe um, you assign me that homework task and I come up with it by next week. <laughs> yeah. Defying all odds on a farm in New Jersey. It's J.C. Cole. How's that? So um, one of the reasons. One week. Go yeah, ahead. One week. I'll, I'll come up with it. So, so <laughs> one of the reasons I came back. Uh, I came back and the start of farm was, you know, I was right there uh, on the Russian border and in, in, uh, in Latvia. And I started to see a buildup of NATO forces all around Russia. And this didn't mm-hmm. make any sense to me for the, those who actually followed what was happening. When perestroika happened, uh, President Reagan promised um uh, Secretary Gorbachev, that NATO would not expand. And of course, then George Bush Sr. came in, and and um, by the time Clinton got in, NATO started expanding. And the Russian people are very concerned about NATO, um, just like we were very concerned about the Soviets. Uh, so putting NATO, surrounding Russia with NATO, very, very much um, uh, frightens the Russians. Uh, so NATO put bases on the Russian border in almost every uh, country. I was informed by one of my contacts to watch what was happening and that he thought there would be a civil war in the Ukraine. I was told this in 2009 and that it would put Putin um, against NATO and then it would um, tensions would spread to Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, and then there would be a quick devastating war and Russia would win. Okay, so he told me about the civil war four years before it happened. Right. And while I, uh, so I realized that it would be a very dangerous place for me to be. So I decided to come back and then that's when I came across how vulnerable our uh, supply chain was and started to work on what I call the American gray swans, indicating how many ways our supply chain can easily be dropped. One of them was a pandemic, and I had written about that like two months before it happened. Mm-hmm. So, so now what we're seeing is it, uh, a buildup for war in the Ukraine this week um, uh, between uh, NATO and Russia. And it's quite serious. Um, then, 
And JC, what's that about right now? What's at the root of that? I can tell you a little bit of the history. So what happened was when the Soviet Union um, uh, uh, basically captured all the different countries to make the union, there were 15 Mm -hmm. countries, Russia being two thirds of the size. And what Stalin did was he mixed up all of the nationalities. He'd take Latvians and send them to Russia, Russians and send them to Latvia. He was trying to destroy the individual cultures, right? So what that left was, and then all of a sudden the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, and you had people from Russia that were moved into, let's say, Latvia, and they had to go, otherwise they went to the gulags. It wasn't their fault. And they actually had spent, some of them, 50 years there. So, so the population of Latvia, 35%, is ethnic Russian. Right. So, um, that, you know, that that creates tension when you have um, about 55 percent is is Latvian. Then there's a couple of mixture and then 35 is Russian. Well, what happened in Ukraine was about 50 percent of the people are Russian and about 50 percent are Ukrainian. And, And it's almost like there's a line down the middle. So the. Regions on the Russian border are very, very high population Russian. So Putin's absolutely correct when he says, I'm protecting my, um, uh, my ethnic people. Mm-hmm. So it looks like the neocons of the State Department funded the overthrow of the leg- legitimately elected government and started the civil war. And that, in the Civil War, parts of the, let's say, right-wing nationalistic Ukrainians started to go after the ethnic Russians. And so Putin um, uh, would step in to support them. All right, that's one. Then there's the also, there's like, like a a large peninsula down there called Crimea. Well, most people have heard that uh, Russia, uh, the the people in Crimea had uh, voted and decided to uh, annex themselves to Russia, right? Well, it's reported on our CNN that Putin captured and and took Crimea. Actually, if you look at the history, what happened was Crimea historically was always part of Russia not Ukraine, and that when, um, oh, um, oh, oh, not Nalukashenko, um, oh, one, of the prime, uh, one of the prime ministers of, of, of it'll come to me, um, the, the guy who pounded the shoe on the, um, on the UN desk. Oh, Khrushchev? Khrushchev, yes. Khrushchev. Well, politics is politics anywhere in the world, and so Khrushchev was actually uh, Ukrainian, and he was running for secretary general and, of course, the politics in Moscow. Um, and what he did was made a deal with the, um, let's say, the uh, regional governor of Ukraine, or actually the president of Ukraine at that time, um, that they would, he would annex Crimea, this was in the 50s, to, uh, to Ukraine if the Ukrainian uh, president supported Khrushchev to winning the, the general secretary position, which did happen. So 
So Khrushchev became the top guy, and and the Crimea got brought over to um, uh, to uh, Ukraine. But the the population, I think it's seventy percent, is Russian. So in the in the Crimea is, is Sevastopol, which is the um, the port uh, for the Russian Navy. So so Putin had signed an agreement. Um, uh, back in the 90s, where he had, had has like a 100-year lease on that. Russia has a 100-year lease on the port, and he's allowed to bring in troops in there. So all of this that's been reported to us has been a distortion, and, and, and a lot of it a lie, to pick on Russia, that they, Russia's protecting itself. And it looks like parts of NATO are, are trying to start World War III. Really? As crazy as that sounds, that's what it looks like. And if you notice, Trump went in there and, and started to pull back on NATO and, mm-hmm. and, and the support. But literally, it's, it's like a continuation of World War II. And so this is all happening right now. And um, actually, to yesterday, um, my understanding is, and of course, this is just you know, blurbs of news I can't verify, is that Russian Russian tanks are now moving through Belarusia, which is right next to Russia, going towards Poland and Lithuania, right? And that the Russian fleet is now, um, Russia discon- uh, cut all ties to NATO last week, and they are moving their fleet into the Black Sea. The U.S. is moving their fleet into the Black Sea. Oh, and the Suez Canal is closed. By coincidence, that this the whole thing happening, a very large container ship got stuck sideways. And so the Suez Canal is closed right now. Um, they're trying to get the ship out of the way. You, you really ought to see this. It's, it's amazing. Uh, so, JC, I, I, I have to get the ship out of the way right here, the end of the first segment. Um, number one, I'm, I'm not tuned into this on a daily basis like you are. Number two, I still haven't heard anything about any of this except for what you're bringing to us, which is why you're back. I want to remind you, Lone Creek Cattle Company provides the opportunity for cattlemen to add value, but then also capture the value. The Piedmontese cattle possess two copies of the myostatin gene. Breed those Piedmontese bulls from Lone Creek to your cows, no matter what their makeup, and you qualify for the contract price. Marlon Will has full details. Certified Piedmontese moving towards 50000 head a year. LoneCreekCattleCo.com to find Marlon. You'll find JC by being right back here after the break. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Loose alongside JC Cole. Uh, Moving the ship out of the way is where I interrupted you. But before you get to that moving the ship out of the way, I do just want to point out, I am sure there's a bunch of people, even well, whether they're with us today listening or not, who are saying Biden's talking about getting rid of guns. I can't worry about what's happening in Russia. Why does it matter, JC? That's my question. Well, it's a big chess game. And and getting rid of guns um, is uh, one of the moves, right? And and so um, that one, obviously, uh, for those of us that are, are very concerned about the Second Amendment, hits us immediately and, 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 uh, gets our emotions going where, right. where, you know, our every day doesn't, 
you know, encompass what's happening in Russia, but it may because because I put up a list. I sent it to you, um, but there's a list. Um, uh, I wrote an article last week on Robert David Steele's uh, website um, um, called Oil. Was Oil, NATO, America, and Russia. It was last week, Jason. You're not expected to remember that long. Yeah, there is. (laughs) Well, things happen in a week, I'm saying. All right, That's true. That's true. Um, And uh, there's a a list of events that have happened since uh, since Biden had canceled the Keystone um, Pipeline, all related to um, basically oil and Russia. So Biden went out and called Putin um, a killer, which was uh, really a pretty dumb thing to do to the guy who controls the most nuclear weapons in the world. Right. And, and moving on from from that, that doesn't seem like a wise move. You're right. Go ahead. No, no. And (laughs) moving, moving forward, uh, Russia uh, called back its, uh, its ambassador to the United States. Well, those those are some pretty big uh, events happening. And then Russia discontinued all contact with NATO. Uh, NATO plans a large military uh, operation in in, um, the Black Sea. Russia's uh, whole fleet is now on on alert. And and now there are tanks moving. These are all being reported at this time. Well, what happens is Putin also last year made a decision where Russia changed their policy on the use of nuclear weapons, where they said, we will, we will have the right to use nuclear weapons if our infrastructure is attacked. Okay. I'm guessing and, and, that would garner some attention globally. I would think so. And last week, yeah. basically, in England said the same thing. We, we will use nuclear weapons if, um, if our, some form of infrastructure, I have the exact wording on that, uh, right. uh, and the articles. So it's not me making this up. I, I, I document it with a whole list of articles. So, so if somebody is stupid enough to attack Russia, right, then Putin just said he'll use nuclear, he has the choice to use nuclear weapons, right? Now, it's very, very simple to turn off the electricity in America, and that's it. That's the end of the story. We, we and, proved that about a month ago. Yes. And, and so, so that's why it's important, one, to have guns. <laughs> You know, right. because if, if the electricity goes off, our our system just turns into chaos. Mm-hmm. And and especially for us on the East Coast, you might be, you know, the electricity turns off. You might be sitting me, seeing me in your backyard. <laughs> because, right. You know, you want me to give you a map and directions now before the electricity goes out so you know how to get here? I already got it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait, I didn't give it to you. <laughs> Well, you know, I have some backup choices there too. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But don't worry, I come prepared. You know, I'm going to have okay. a 40 foot horse trailer full of all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. We have had a lot of rain, so we'll have grass. It's all good. Come on. Yeah. So, so yeah. So my point is, I, I just wanted you to walk through that illustration because it just summarizes it perfectly how important all of these global events are and how we need to pay attention. That's right. And when, you know, most of us don't study war, but when you actually look at war, 
it's not, you know, two, two, you know, two groups of people shooting at each other. It's much, much bigger. They go after everything. They attack the, uh, they attack the currency. They attack the banks, the pro- the propaganda. Um, they look, look at what China's doing to us, sending in containers of fentanyl, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, if you look, uh, it was last year, um, a 50,000 pound container full of fentanyl, which could kill basically every, everybody on the earth, um, uh, was seized by um, customs. And so, so there is this attack going on, and that's why I keep on pointing out isn't it suspicious that all of a sudden you have uh, um, a snowstorm in Texas and it shuts down 40% of our oil production? Last year, the largest uh, refinery on the East Coast burnt down. It's not going to be replaced. There was a fire on the, on the largest uh, refinery on the West Coast. And, and the largest refinery in the world in Saudi Arabia was attacked with drones and another one caught on fire last week. So these things are all happening, and these are all signs of war. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, the problem is for us normal people, well. I'm not sure so, we're normal, JC, but go ahead. Right. But, but, but to be paying attention to this, you know, it's almost like, you, oh, you, you know, brought up the, the boy that cried wolf. Well, when we look at that story, and I said we'd get back to it, if you start seeing wolf tracks around your sheep pen, you start to, you know, and, and other things like, you know, any hunter would know looking for droppings and, and, and whatnot and, and pieces of fur, you start to say, wait a minute, this is serious. I'm not, right. you know, I'm not, you know, saying run to the hills. I'm saying look at the tracks that are forming that historically indicate a major war. Now, you know, and, and you just take a step back and you'll see it. You know, the entire financial system for the entire world is just bizarre. Well, if these guys know they're going to get into war, why not spend all the money? Because when you go into war, the currencies reset. Right? That, that's what historical. Now, Americans haven't, you know, experienced war since since uh, basically, you know, 1940, World War II. I'm not talking about our guys that went over and fought in right, Vietnam right. and Korea, but but the average American hasn't seen any hardship for like three generations. Mm-hmm. And, and now there are many, many indicators that it's coming. Right? You know, I actually, JC, I, I, I've thought a lot about that. In fact, because of a group I work with called the All-American Beef Battalion, whose founder, the late Bill Brody, who we just lost about two months ago, uh, create an opportunity for us to get on bases and feed troops steaks just to say thank you. And it caused me to think, spend a lot of time thinking about what the war effort was like in World War II in the 40s, early 40s, compared to since then, these men and women have been around the world living in the trenches, fighting for their life, saving our freedom, and our life at home is not impacted in any way, shape, or form. I've thought a lot about right. that. Correct. I want to. I had mentioned I'm working on a, a project to expand as much, uh, you know, to, to create a few million small farms to balance this out because us, us, us meatheads in the East don't have food near us, right? And, and 
one of the things is that you, when you create a farm, you can create a social a safety net for our veterans because I think there's a lot of concern that our government is not taking care of our veterans, and that's just un, unacceptable. Right. But that, that, that's an, an, another issue. Let's get back to one is look at the tracks, you know, look at the evidence, verify it for yourself and say, hey, is there a possibility, a probability of war coming? Right. How will it affect us and what do we do about it? Right. And, and part of that, especially for the farmers. Right. This is going to be a technological electric war. It's not going to be, I, I doubt, right. seriously, we're going to a nuclear holocaust, right? Because, uh, well, I, I just doubt that. There's no reason for it. They can just turn off the electricity. Uh, and so, so how do you prepare? And um, one of the well, most important well, things is to get our farms prepared so that they can handle, <laughs> surprisingly enough, disruptions in the supply chain right and and right. and one of the fastest well, ways we will never have a disruption in the supply chain it could not happen in the united not. states i just do not see it in our future but i do see a disruption in this program and it's called neogen shining a light on your genetic future taking nothing for granted no, you can't just randomly mate animals anymore you need to know exactly what alleles are present there and what the odds are of you getting to the exact destination you want with your genetics because it's all about efficiency and profitability can we put profit back in food production that's the moral of the story get more details about neogen and the dna fingerprint testing on the web neogen.com we'll be back in a second half with jc cole after this welcome back Roll route, Trent Loose, midweek, J.C. Cole joining us. Uh, I just have to say a good stockman, back to your analogy of the wolf and the tracks and uh, entering the sheep flock. The good stockman prevents the wolf from finding them. And once the wolf has found the sheep, you're constantly defending and then you can't do anything else. See any analogies to life there? Uh, one or two. there's actually if we take a step back and we look there's a full-scale blitzkrieg on food production um both in the world and on uh, in our country and and you you really hit on one of the key areas bringing profitability back into farming and Mm -hmm. and i believe that that's one of the things they went after they're destroying the profitability therefore they can control the food and and um, um, we, that's one of the ways we have to tackle this. But before that, we have to uh, prepare in case we have disruptions in the supply chain. And I think for, for farmers, a big one is diesel, right? And, 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 and doubling up or tripling up on your diesel storage, because you can get diesel if you, you prep it correct. Um, you can get diesel to last 10 years. So easily you can store three years of your, your diesel need, right? And that looks like to be one of the weak points that's easy to hit. And, and by the way, I said the Suez Canal right now is shut down. That's the largest, that's the largest canal in the world. You, you're already seeing the response to the supply chain of that uh-huh. stopping. 
Yeah, I mean so, it'll just, it'll come out this week. I, so, I can't get to the I can't get to the Suez Canal yet, JC, because you you, okay. get, you got my whole head going crazy on the diesel aspect. Because for the last four years, I've been trying to figure out why on the West Coast, California, Oregon, Washington, they've been attacking diesel. They've been trying to eliminate diesel production. Period. In the name of climate protection, yeah, you shine a you shine a whole new light on the access to diesel because the truth of the matter is it's going to be a little tough for most farmers to farm without diesel yes if you if you look in this is this is what happens this is in some ways why i you know my background's not farming it was it was real estate development and engineering and i came back and i see things that people just took for granted i came across a figure i haven't verified it but it looks like one gallon of diesel when when you're in the field you know churning the field and, and, and preparing mm-hmm. it replaces 500 man hours. So one think gallon, about that. 500 man gallon. hours. Now, that, per, you oh know, and, and I'm so stealing that number. And, it, and if you think about it, you know, when you're going out and you're turning the field, well, I could see replacing 500 man hours easy. When was the last time you got out and shoveled, you know, turned, turned the soil by hand, right? And Actually, it, uh, uh, that long ago before I thought I got busy, I, my favorite day would be raking hay with a team of horses. And I just love getting my percherons out there in the hay field. And I can rake almost three acres an hour, JC. I'm, I'm pretty okay. progressive, well, you know. But well, my father-in-law, well, he's he's so patient with me because he rakes and bales. And he'll be sitting in his tractor alongside it hollering, Put the damn horses away and get that field done so we can get on and do something. <laughs> but it puts it into context because yes. he'll rake about 12 acres an hour or more. Yeah. And, and, and so, so if you look at it, our entire, actually, if you look at the big picture and, and, uh, on, on diesel, right, our entire country really runs on diesel, right? Um, some of our um, electric plants, um, most of our trains, right? Most of our big hauling, right? Um, mm-hmm. Most of our farming is all in diesel. And it's very interesting that we have almost no diesel automobiles here. Where in Europe, which is much more populated, which they're much more sensitive about air quality, um, 50% of the automobiles are diesel. So it can very easily happen that the government turns off the production of unleaded gasoline, if there's a shortage of refinery, that it goes to diesel because diesel keeps us alive. And that means that the whole private sector just had their cars knocked out. Right. And this actually happened in, in, in Hurricane Sandy when um, all the pumps, uh, there was such a shortage on gasoline, you saw people out there standing with the um, gas cans. That's for unleaded gasoline, not diesel. There was plenty of diesel mm-hmm. here, right? So I switched, you know, my, my vehicles to diesel, right? You can store it. We need it for the farm. And, and, um, and, uh, and you can actually have a better chance of making it. You can make a biodiesel and a few other things. But anyway, but that's uh, one thought, thing the farmers can do. I I interrupted you with the Suez Canal and the ship. 
I got you back on this diesel path. I'm trying to get you back to where you were before I took us down the diesel road. Well, well, if you look at what happened, you had one ship turn sideways and block the entire Suez Canal, and they're they're having difficulty. Now we don't know if that was an accident or not. It, it, mm-hmm. You know, it cer- certainly is a, um, uh, uh, a suspicious coincidence. But if you look, it's very simple to block all the canals, right? There, there's only, you know, what, maybe six or seven major canals. You block them all, and, and um, the, 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 the supply chain stops. Adds two, two weeks easy. You know, I'm going to liken it, obviously, to I live in the middle of Nebraska. The Keystone Pipeline has been an issue. The oil that was going to flow, and I believe it's 850 barrels a day through that uh, an hour through that uh, pipeline, uh, the the oil's still going to get to where it goes. It's going to take a different route. It's not going to be as effective or as efficient. It's going to ride a train. Um, whatever the case may be, it doesn't stop the production of oil. It just minimizes the overall impact and efficiency of it. Um, probably. That's a that's yeah. a question. Yeah, but uh, again, the, you know, it's such a big picture um, uh, mm-hmm. item. Uh, if you look, we haven't put in a refinery in the United States since the seventies, right? and actually seventy nine, I, I think, was the last one to be built. Yeah. So, so if you if you actually look back. The last, let's say, 40, 50 years, we know that our manufacturing, that the wealth of a country is based on mm-hmm. its manufacturing capabilities, its mining and minerals, and its um, um, agriculture and food production. Those are the three major things, and we have been blessed with all of them. Well, if you look what happened about, well, right after World War II started to happen, Maybe coincidental about um, the you know the 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 the, um, uh, the time uh, the CIA uh, brought in Project Paperclip. Um, I'll just drop that uh, as a hint that our manufacturing started to be offshore. Our uh, we started with this environmental stuff of shutting down um, shutting down uh, mining and and um, Minerals. You remember the the famed spotted owl, right? I and do. and our small farms were getting destroyed by by basically financial administrative burdens, um, and everything. And so on the food side, it all got shifted, or it was getting shifted to uh, economics of scale, right? And then you have now ten corporations that control ninety percent of the processed food. So if you looked at what happened, somebody looks like they went after the three values that add um, um, uh, that make our country wealthy: manufacturing, minerals, and food. And then, by coincidence, we had a president had that's past tense. We're not sure at the moment, but we, but but President Trump said, "Make America great again." Well, how do you do that? Manufacturing, minerals, you know, and and food. So what am I coming up with is how do we create a plan? We're short on farmers. We just, you know, we just can't clone you. You know, well, we can actually, I understand, but maybe that's not a good idea at this time. <laughs> but but we're short on farmers and we need to create 
a, a stunning amount of farms to balance out our food production back to creating a very strong food grid. So, I tr- uh, JC, I try to be a forever optimist. I no doubt we're short of farmers. I wonder how many people actually just want to engage in farming anymore because it has become so easy not to. And so the work ethic is not what it was. My work ethic isn't what my dad's was. It wasn't what his father's was. We've lost work ethic through the generations. And it takes a lot of work to continue to be involved in agriculture. Absolutely. I think it will come back. And and also, yes, I'm an optimist looking at a very pessimistic view. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not giving up. I mean, the optimists stay at it. Actually, you know, if I was a pessimist, I would never have lasted 18 years in Eastern Europe. You have no idea how stressful that was. You know, so, you know, the optimists are coming forward. But it's like I'm an optimist and I'm saying, hey, look at the wolf. The wolf tracks are here. You know, that's not pessimism. That's optimism defending the herd. Right. And, and so <clears throat> so how do we do this? The first is to recognize recognize what's coming. Yeah, that, that threat to energy just has not been enough of a, a, a awareness for most people. Correct. And I, and I did hear I've had more conversations about it since the rolling blackouts which was a result of, as you illustrated, a snowstorm in Texas. But I don't think we're there yet. No, no. And this is, this is part of it. You know, uh, you know push all farmers to, to double up or triple up on their oil. And that gets into prepping or preparing. What, what mm-hmm. happens with preparing is you actually are just getting the resources and assets to bring you through a time of chaos. Right? The other important thing that most farmers don't even think about is um, almost all farms, I think, will be running on uh, well water, right? You know, you'll, you, how many have an extra pump? And it's, it's about $1,000, I guess, for, you know, um, a quality uh, well pump. But how many? I have two. <laughs> it's like, um, because if the pump goes, if the water gets shut off, if the right. if the potable water gets shut off, you know you've you've got a big problem right there. You've got three days to solve it. Well, you know I, I'm quick to say, well, I, I've got my own water. I don't rely on public water, uh, which is fueled by electricity. So you know you got there's a lot of things to consider. We have there one segment left. And so, JC so Cole, it actually comes uh, down to- up 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 stop. Okay. Roll out. Watch the stand at Paxson County on Netflix. It continues to bring all of these issues to light as well. The stand at Paxson County on Netflix. JC Cole, last segment after this. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Luce alongside JC Cole. 18 years, Eastern Europe. I would really like to get a sense, probably not today, of how stressful that was. Just what it was like day in and day out. <laughs> Yeah. We, <laughs> maybe we, maybe we that was my answer. Four hour uh, um, uh, 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 show <laughs> just on starting, um, and and but it was fascinating. It was fascinating. It's like going to a different jungle, you know, where you don't know what the you know the dangerous animals are, or the poisonous plants, or or how things work, but you find out. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I'll bet you do. Uh, I just want to weigh in. Matthew Bush says you either have a generator or a hand pump. I got a generator. And to JC's point, my generator lasts as long as there's a fuel supply to run the generator. And yes. my generator is propane. So, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, it's going to take some big old propane tanks. I can make it, what, three days, maybe seven with what I have. I, no way. It'd be probably three days. And you got to have a new fuel supply for the generator. Well, the first is when you're in an emergency, you, you cut back on the use of your resources real quick. Um, right. You don't have to run the generator 24-7. The second is you want redundancy. So if I were you, you have a tractor. I would get a PTO tra- uh, generator also, right? It, it's, they're not that much, right? In other words, your tractor is your engine, and a PTO is just the just literally the, the um, uh, generator, and that gives you um, uh, uh, electricity from diesel. As long as right? you have that supply of diesel that you told us to get. That's correct. Right. But now now you now now you look at things like, well, if you're on a farm, then you better have some water storage capabilities. So you only have to run the diesel generator for one hour just to pump up the water. Right. Right. And then you don't need it 24 hours a day. So there's there's a whole bunch of combinations and and um, 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 thinking that have to go into place. Um, But it really comes down to. You know, you, you know, there's something in prepping called the uh, rule of threes. And, and this is something to pretty much learn. You, you have a basically three minutes w- um, without air. Um, you have um, um, uh, basically three days or, or three hours without suitable um, uh, struck, um, um Shelter if if mm-hmm. you're in bad weather, you know. Obviously, if you get caught in a snowstorm out in the middle of, you've got about three hours. You get three days without water before you're in, in deep trouble, and you've got three weeks without food before you, it's over. Some of us, some of us have a little extra uh, food storage, so I yeah. might make it four weeks. <laughs> but but these these are things to pay attention to. So, so the, you know, you don't have, not much you can do about air, but certainly water, you, mm-hmm. you, you know, how long, how long will your farm work if your water gets cut off? So you, you put in systems of redundancy so that that can't happen. Like, let's say you're able to store a week of water um, or something like that. Well, that gives you a week when, when it gets cut off, that gives you a week to figure out solutions. It's the same thing as if you had stored food. Um, let's say you have three months of stored food for the family, and all of a sudden the, the supply chain drops and the supermarkets close. Well, if you had three months, that gives you three months to come up with alternative solutions where the average house has one week. So that's that's what we're looking at. And... and, and um, you know, and, and it, it, it's actually a plan, let's say physical insurance policies on how to get through um, uh, periods of chaos. And that's what we're see, we are seeing coming. I, I don't think, no matter how skeptical you are, you cannot sit here and believe that we are not approaching periods of chaos no matter what. 
I mean, we've we've experienced periods of chaos for the past year. It's only going to accelerate. And if you can't see that, you're just you might as well Not read looking. in Braille. Yeah, exactly. That's what this is one of the, the biggest things about this program. Look, we're going into a period of chaos. We're going into uncharted waters. The world has never been hit this way. I mean, and here's one one example that New York, you know, the food is 2000 miles away from New York. Mm-hmm. It has never been that like that. Never in the history of the world. <clears throat> you know, and there's there's a lot of examples of how that was used. I mean, Napoleon lost lost the war to Russia basically because he had no food. So just yesterday, I was telling this story about the time I was in California uh, in Chino, actually, in a strawberry field. And they were in the field harvesting strawberries, cutting the tops off, putting them in a package, wrapping them in the package in the in the field. That night, they would take their crop to LAX and the next day those strawberries would be served in New York. Now those strawberries went on the bottom of a commercial flight. And so nobody even thought about how many commercial flights do we have going today compared to going a year ago before. Well, now we have to go back 14 months. So there was so much of our everyday food that traveled in these commercial flights you want to talk about that's chaos. It's disrupting that system that we had in place to get food distributed around the world. And all you're telling us is prepare yourself for that type of chaos and disruption in the future. Correct. At a much bigger level than just your strawberry supply. Correct. Three years worth of diesel. Is that what I got to have? My goodness. (laughs) That's a lot of five gallon jugs. Well, they have other solutions called the 50-gallon tank or a 500-gallon a 500 gallon tank, right? That was the first thing I did. I came back. I go, boom. I went out and bought the tanks, right? Now yeah. now the price of tanks, you know, in the last year, the price of tanks has, I, I think, tripled, you know, because, you know, so I, I mean, for us, we don't use a lot of diesel um, uh, uh, on our farm, um, but but I've got 500 gallons stored. That'll get me very, very a long area, yeah, a long period of time. You know, you could sell that diesel right now and double your money, right? Yes, I know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Which means but, I have to pay twice as much as I would have a year ago. Yeah. Well. Well. What about what about if we look at guns and ammunition? You know, a nine millimeter uh, um, bullet is now a dollar. Well. Uh, you know, funny, I bought them when they were 20 cents. So I could sell right. that and make a 500% increase. But guess what? Yeah. I'm not selling have... my ammunition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's if you can find ammunition, it's a dollar. Exactly. Exactly. And so you, you sit there. Now, you know, I had 18 years of experiencing things like this. Um, right. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, the gas stations... When the, the Soviet Union collapsed, the gas stations collapsed. You couldn't buy gas, right? Until some ingenious guy, you know, some young, you know, entrepreneurial in Russian, he bought, he bought a used military um, uh, gasoline tanker, you know, that the, the military used, 
right? Mm-hmm. And he, he drove over to Russia, fills, fills it up, and drives back to Latvia and sits on the side of the road. Yeah. That's how we got gas for the first year. Really? Oh, yeah. Been I mean, there, you know, just you've been there, done that. Absolutely. And, you know, and then you start to learn to, to, to get your resources in your control that you must have. JC, we have three minutes left. And in that time, I just want to come back to and, and reiterate something that you said that I did not know. I knew about the two oil refineries in the United States that we had trouble with. I did not know that this is a global. I mean, it's pretty hard to not just say there's an intended attack here, but how, we we just don't get access to the information that we need. I don't want to sound like a whiner, but we need to know that this oil refinery infrastructure has been hit. Correct. It, it, it got hit again last week. I made actually a list. I've been keeping a list of events for two years that are very suspicious. You mm-hmm. might say just very suspicious, like uh, train derailments with oil. Um, um, there were three fires in, uh, uh, I think it was ni- uh, 2019, of uh, refineries in Texas. Then, then the one in the East Coast burnt down. Then the one on the West Coast caught on fire. Then the big one was attacked with drones. And, and just recently, this week, another attack um, was on one of the, the refineries. So if you, I actually make a list that that also is on Robert David Steele's website of all of these events. I'm not making them up, you know. And then the attacks uh, on the attacks on um, substations, electrical substations. You know, the, who's they're, this they're Robert attacks. David Steele? You keep promoting his website. Who is this guy? Uh, you know, at this point, he he he. He, he puts he's the only person that listened to what I was saying about the supply chain. And he goes, you're right. And so he puts the papers on, on you know, uh, uh, my writings on on his uh, website. It's the only way I could get out the, yeah. the information. Now you're you're number two. Look at the information, Don't, you know, and then verify well, it for yourself. It seems to me like I should have been number three because one and two don't don't appear to be significant. But you just named three was the significant number. So maybe I should drop you, have somebody else. Amanda Radke's here. She'll pick you up, and then I'll come back as number three. That'll be more significant. By the way, did you know that a sow, her gestation length is three months, three weeks, and three days? I know. (laughs) I was just trying to, you know, work the pig in there as something bigger than just a pork chop, but you you didn't go along with it. All right. Where can people go? People want to now. Everybody wants to read what you've written. Tell us where we can go find that. Ah, uh, somebody's what got a technical issue. It's just type in JC Cole, American Gray Swan. And you know what? I can do better myself. I should have had JC Cole's writings on my blog, Loose Tales Network. So you can find them on Robert David Steele's or Loose Tales Network or right here because undoubtedly JC is going to be back again next week. And I don't know where he went now. He's locked up, but that's fine because the clock says we have successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. For JC and myself, we both remind you that all roads do lead 
to a roll route. And before I let you go here today, reminding you that Certified Piedmontese creates opportunities for you to add value but then get paid for the value. And all of that is documented because we know that each calf possesses the myostatin gene. We know that thanks to to Neogen. So it is working tandem, hand-in-hand, not together, hand-in-hand. Neogen.com for details about your genomic testing and Lone Creek Cattle Co. for details about being a part of a branded beef program. Certified Piedmontese.